more importantly, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that this isn't just some kind of religion that's devoid of much meaning. But Lord, this is a vibrant, growing relationship with you. You love us and care about us so much that you want to be a part of every single part of our lives. You want us to serve you in in every single part of our lives. We thank you for your word. It is such a breath of fresh air, uh, especially in comparison to what's going on in the world right now. And we thank you that we can always trust it. It is always the truth, no matter what anybody says about it, rails against it, protests against it. We thank you for that. We thank you that we can find our spiritual rest in you. I pray that your name would be glorified during this time, that you would open our ears and our hearts and our spiritual eyes to see what you have for us this morning. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a point in time when all one could do to hire a business or a professional to take care of a task, from fixing a leaky sink to handling finances, was to open a phone book, close your eyes, and whichever business your finger landed on, that was the one you were hiring. Today, most decisions in this area are handled by going online and browsing customer reviews of service on Yelp and Google and what is now called Angie, which is the merging of HomeAdvisor and Angie's List. You look at all the good and five-star reviews and see what customers say, but what are you really interested in as you're looking at these reviews? The one-star reviews, right? That's what you're really interested in. What were the ways that this business really messed up in? Did they respond in any way? Granted, there are internet trolls who just like going on business review sites and wasting time and writing awful reviews just for the fun of it, even though they never actually hired them. But reading the one-star reviews are often the deal breaker to if you will hire that business or not. Customer complaints are as old as humanity itself. The first customer complaint recorded, that's been discovered anyway, uh, is called the complaint tablet to, I'm going to butcher this name, but Ye Nisir, from Abraham's hometown of Ur in Mesopotamia around 1750 BC, about 200 years after Abraham moved away. It's written by a customer named Nani, who writes a letter to a man named Ian Nasir on a stone tablet. That's what they had. <laughs> Apparently, Ian Nasir traveled to the Persian Gulf to buy copper and then resell it in Mesopotamia. Nani sent a servant to Ur to buy some of this copper, but when the servant returned with the copper, Nani found it to be inferior quality. Nani then sent this communication in cuneiform on a clay tablet back to Nian Nasir, which included the statement, What do you take me for that you treat me with such contempt? If that doesn't sound like an ancient Yelp review, I don't know what does. (laughs) Maybe a little outdated language, but as, like I said, 
Customer complaints have existed as long as humanity has existed. And likewise, grumbling and complaining in general have existed as long as humanity has existed. I mean, think about it. When Adam and Eve's son, Cain, after he had murdered his own brother, found out what his punishment was for it from God, what was his very next response? A complaint, right? Imagine the guts of that guy. But that's just a perfect example of humanity. So it's no wonder then that after all that Jesus has revealed about himself, about God the Father, and about how God the Father's plan for salvation for humanity is completely anchored in Jesus, what is the response of the crowd Jesus is speaking to? Spoiler alert, it's grumbling and complaining. Jesus has just revealed to these people, point blank, what God's plan is for humanity. That he sent Jesus to save those who he had chosen to come to him. And the only basis for that is believing that Jesus is all that he says he is. God, Savior, and King. And instead of responding with, whoa, really? How can we do that? They respond with grumbling. So if you brought your Bible with you today, uh, please turn to John chapter 6. We're going to be picking back up in verse 41. If you didn't, that's okay. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to John chapter 6. Again, we're going to be picking up in verse 41 or look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. And we come to John 6 41. And we read this, Therefore the Jews were grumbling about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. I mean, on the surface, it's a logical question. As they were in the greater region of Galilee, of which both Gennesaret and Nazareth, Jesus' hometown, were a part, there were obviously some there who would have known Jesus' earthly family. Because then they say, they were saying, verse 42, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down out of heaven? They thought they knew Jesus' origin because they knew who both of his parents were. But here's the kicker. Jesus referring to himself as the bread of heaven is not the last thing he said. Go back to what he said before this. Uh, If you have a Bible uh, where Jesus' words are in red, it's easy to do. The last thing he said was in reference to himself being the only one who could grant eternal life and raise up all of those who put their faith in him as Savior and King on a future day. But what are the people focused on? That's not what the people's biggest beef is. Notice they don't grumble against Jesus and say, who do you think you are claiming to be the only one who can give us eternal life? What are they still focused on even at this point? Jesus doing what they wanted him to do including giving them more bread, because he had just fed them with the five loaves of bread and the two fish, including giving them more bread or new manna that they believed would accompany the Messianic kingdom. When they said back in verse 34, well, then give us this new bread, in their minds this new manna to which Jesus replied, I am the bread of life that has come down out of heaven. You're looking for more physical bread. I am the bread of life. You should be really looking for me. Jesus goes on to explain what he means. 
that he is the only form of spiritual sustenance that anyone, anywhere, would ever need. And that for anyone to have this form of spiritual sustenance, they had to believe that he was sent by God the Father as God himself to be the one through whom they could receive eternal life. But the people are still so focused on the physical. Jesus just shutting up and hurrying up already and establishing the prophesied Jewish kingdom right then and there that it's like they weren't even listening to what he said to them in verses 36 through 40, which we covered last week. They were still stuck on what he said in verse 35, and they couldn't move on to the deep spiritual truths that Jesus then revealed about himself and God's sovereignty in verses 36 through 40. They completely missed everything Jesus said about God's sovereignty or authority over every aspect of the universe and of the human soul in choosing different people to put their faith in Jesus as Savior and King. They were still stuck on their preconception of God and thinking about Jesus in human terms. They had this idea in their mind about what God was going to do with, their, with, with his Messiah, but they didn't leave anything up to what God wanted to do with his Messiah. Likewise, they could not conceive of Jesus as having divine origins because they thought they had his origin already all figured out. Mary and Joseph. The Bible explains that Jesus had no physical father, and this was why. To preserve his sinlessness as fully God, since sin and sensitivity to spiritual things gets passed on to the next generation through the father. But Jesus had a physical mother to give him his full humanity. But instead of questioning Jesus further out of curiosity, what is the people's response? They take offense They take offense to his claim to have come from heaven. Because their knee-jerk reaction is to be offended, they start grumbling amongst themselves. See, this way of thinking about God is nothing new, nor has anything changed today. There are a lot of people in this world who think they know all they need to know about God. He's this old bearded guy who sits in a chair up in heaven and plays this cosmic chess game with people's lives. They fully believe that if they just believe he exists and just try to be good, then God has no reason to mess around with them. And if a trial comes into their lives, instead of seeking who God truly is, they just get offended at him and think, how could you do this to me? They place their human finite understanding of who God is over their preconception of him and think, me and the big guy are fine. How many times have you heard that before? Me and the big guy are fine. Even though they really couldn't care less about what he thinks about the way they live their lives. Like the people Jesus is talking to in our passage this morning, each one of us has to get rid of our preconceptions of who God is, what we think he should be doing, and how we think he should relate to us. We need to get rid of a shallow 
and really self-centered view of God and go back to the source of the revelation of who God truly is from his own word. In it, we will find from the very beginning that we exist to serve God and not the other way around. Once we start with that premise, which is entirely biblical and therefore entirely true, then we must, that, that we must start with God and his plan and his purposes for this world and for us as individuals and not start with ourselves, our desires, and what we want God to be, then everything about God and his word suddenly makes sense. Our spiritual eyes can finally be opened to what truly is the meaning of life and how we relate to God. Just like how the people in our passage this morning needed to get past only thinking about everything in a physical and worldly way and turn to the spiritual, which is what Jesus has been trying to get them to think about this whole time, we need to get past only thinking about everything in a physical and worldly way and turn to the spiritual. In other words, who Jesus really is. As John revealed at the very beginning of this book, Jesus is the one through whom God created the entire universe. We were created by Jesus to have an unbroken connection and relationship to all three members of the Trinity of God. But we chose to want to be like God ourselves and broke that connection. Because we wanted to live our lives however we wanted to, no matter how selfish and destructive that looked like, and not want God, which we confirm even to this day, the fitting consequence for that would be to lose that life. And not only lose that life, but lose God and all that he is to be banished to a place of eternal torment called hell. But this same Jesus, because God loved us so much, came willingly to earth to live a sinless life as God and pay the payment of death on our behalf. The hope that we have is that we can take Jesus' death and resurrection for our own and based on that, repent of our sin towards God and take Jesus for all of who he is, both Savior and king over the rest of our lives. At that point, our connection and relationship with God is restored, and we can have all of who God is, including him as our father, and all the blessings that go along with that, and the 100% assurance of eternal life spent with him. That's God's plan for humanity in a nutshell. It's very simple but it requires complete humility. It's very simple, but it requires complete humility. It requires each individual person to take a hard look at themselves, realize that nowhere in God's word does it say it's good enough to just believe in God or some form of higher power and try to be a good person. Nowhere. It requires the acceptance that no amount of good things done can solve our sin problem. 
And that in order to be restored to most holy God, we need to accept that Jesus paid for our sin for us. Because of that, it requires that we repent of that sin. Ask God for forgiveness of that sin and seek to live the rest of our lives for him. But see, especially in this world today, what is that? That is flat out offensive. No one's supposed to feel bad about anything. And everything we do, no matter how selfish or even evil, can just be justified away. Tell someone they're a sinner to their face, and you better have a plan to duck or start running. The fact of the matter is, is that we're all sinners. We just have to get over ourselves and see the truth of that. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Not one person is exempt from that. But again, especially in this world today, there are only two responses today to hearing that. Anger and being offended by that, or acceptance of it. In today's world, it's so much more obvious than at any time in the past. And even in the past five years, you can see it now. There is no more ambivalence. There is, in most cases, only two responses. Anger or acceptance. Those are the only two responses today, especially in the, pa- in, in the past five years. Just take one look at social media or have any conversation with anyone, and that's more clear than ever now. The people in our passage this morning responded to Jesus with the first response, anger. He wasn't doing what they thought he should be doing, nor was he making any sense in their realm of thinking, and so they responded with offense and anger. But instead of responding in anger back, Jesus simply reiterates that he isn't really the one they were angry and upset with, as he's been telling them throughout this entire conversation. Who were these people really angry with? Verse, 44, uh, verse 43 and verse 44. Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. If you came here today or watching or listening online later, hoping for a nice saying that could have just as easily been an inspirational meme you saw on Facebook, and you're angry about what I've brought instead, I'm not really the one you're angry at. The one you're really offended by and angry at is God, since all I've been putting forth is what's in his word. That's something you're going to have to check out his word for yourself with and either reject or come to grips with. Here's the thing for all of us. Any of all of our hope has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with us. Any hope that any of us has, has only to do with God's undeserved grace and mercy over us. Like we talked about last week, the Apostle Paul writes, for for God says to Moses, I will show mercy to anyone I choose. And I will show compassion to anyone I choose. So it is God who decides to show mercy. 
And that's exactly what Jesus is getting at in verse 44. None of us can have any restored relationship with God unless, number one, God has grace on us individually, and number two, he chooses to lead us to put our faith in him. So instead of shouting as loud as you can about how unfair God is, or you put it all in caps on Twitter, all any of us can do is if we've repented and taken Jesus as Savior and King, is be grateful that he had his grace upon us and chose to lead us to put that faith in Jesus. It suddenly puts our lives and who we are into a whole new light. We talked a lot about God's sovereignty and what that means to us last week. If you missed that message, I encourage you to check that out on our website in both video or podcast form. God's sovereignty, or again, his absolute authority over the entire universe and over every human soul is the very and only foundation for our salvation. He's already determined who he will lead to put their faith in Jesus and who he won't. It's a hard pill for us as humans to swallow, but that's especially something we have to entrust to God's sovereignty and perfect plan for his own reasons and purposes and be grateful for those, including us, he has chosen to be a part of that plan of salvation. See, we don't even have a chance at being saved from our sin through repentance and acceptance of what Jesus has done for us unless God, through the Holy Spirit, moves in our hearts and draws us to put our faith in Jesus and therefore draws us to himself. Wow! What an unspeakable gift. We can only do this because God chose to open our spiritual eyes to see what the truth of God and his plan of salvation really is and really means. This opening of our spiritual eyes to see the truth of Jesus' message of salvation is what Jesus draws upon from the Jewish prophets towards those offended by him. Verse 45, It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. The verse Jesus is referencing is Isaiah 54, 13, which says, I will teach all your children, and they will enjoy great peace. To be taught something is to have that knowledge revealed or opened to us. Jesus is saying that if one is taught by God or has his or her spiritual eyes opened by God as to the truth of Jesus, they can't help but then put their faith in that truth. Ironically, the verse in Isaiah is sandwiched in between God's prophecy of the future messianic kingdom that the crowd in front of Jesus wanted him to fulfill right then and there. And Jesus is using that same verse to reveal to them that they'll only be a part of that kingdom if they are taught by God and can spiritually see the truth of the one that they're challenging at that moment. See, the salvation message of God through Jesus' death and resurrection is flat-out foolishness 
to the world and will always be foolishness to the world. Why? God purposely designed it to be that way. Once again, the Apostle Paul says, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You ever wonder why it seems like so few people in the world actually want Jesus and want to follow his word? You ever wonder why the messages of the world, especially right now, with all of their unreasonableness and uh, illogicalities, that's a word, and just plain evilness, are all anyone is ever listening to and perpetuating? You ever wonder why any of that? It's because, ridiculously, that's all that makes sense to them. That's all they have. That's the way it will always be, and nothing will change except for one thing. It will only keep getting worse. It will only keep getting more illogical, more unreasonable, and more and more evil. The message of the cross And all that that means will always be foolishness to them because their spiritual eyes have not been opened by God himself. One can only see it to believe it if God first opens our spiritual eyes to see in, again, his grace and mercy and because he determined it to be so. When Paul recounted how Jesus called him to be an apostle, he says that Jesus was sending him to both his fellow Jewish brothers and sisters and to the Gentiles to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive uh, forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. And what's more... It's God who does everything for us to be made legally right with him. He takes care of all the paperwork and legal processes to make us right before him. The Apostle Paul also says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Notice how all of this is written in the past tense. It's the same in the original Greek. When we answer God's call and movement by his Holy Spirit to get rid of our pride and who we want to be, repent and take Jesus as our Savior and King, and therefore what he wants to be, all of this also happens. Before God said, let there be light, he had already decided to choose you. Because God and his plan and his sovereignty can never be thwarted, he called you to, at the perfect time he decided, put your faith in Jesus for your salvation from your sin, and you answered. Not only were you saved from the destination that our sin only ever earns us, but you were saved 
to be made more and more into the likeness of Jesus in every way. When you answered God's call according to his will, you were legally justified. Had Jesus' righteousness transferred to your broke righteousness account, and that's all God sees when he looks at you. He doesn't see all the ways you've wronged and offended him. He just sees Jesus' righteousness transferred over to your name. And then lastly, at that moment, God also glorified you as one of his children, sealed with his Holy Spirit, never to be snatched out of the palms of either Jesus's or the Father's hands, with a home in heaven being prepared for you right now. We will receive our glorified bodies when Jesus comes back for us. But we have the full confidence of that happening in the first place someday because we've been already been glorified by God himself. Again, what an unexplainable gift. Jesus reiterates in verse 44 that those who God opens the spiritual eyes of and draws to himself, leading them to put their faith in Jesus in repentance for their salvation from their sin, he will raise on the last day. I don't know if anyone is getting sick of me talking about this each week, but, but since Jesus kept bringing it up in his conversation with this crowd, I'm going to keep bringing it up again. The world looks dark. The world looks dark, and it seems like it's darker than ever. I may offend some people right now. Babies created in the image of God are being murdered every day for the sake of inconvenience, self-centeredness, and personal dreams. Abortions are celebrated with parties like one would have for a coming birth. Children are being indoctrinated in the public school system and in New Jersey, starting in the second grade with kids who don't even fully understand what's going on in the world or who they can trust, to question if they're the same gender they believe themselves to be all the way up to that point. Today, children are being taught about sex and the myriad of sexual orientations well before they're anywhere near going through puberty. An entire generation is being raised to be confused about who they are and therefore live a lifetime of confusion and heartache. Many Christians, many pastors, and many churches have rejected the biblical blueprint God established at the time of creation, reiterated by Jesus himself and the Apostle Paul, of God creating two genders, male and female, and of those, one woman and one man would enter a marriage relationship in and only in which a sexual relationship would be enjoyed for intimacy and to raise a new generation in the faith and knowledge of the true God of the Bible. Anything... Anything outside of that, no matter what it is, and no matter how you see it, is sin. Again, don't get mad at me. I take it straight from God's word. God is very clear in his word that it is sin. And we have no right to justify it, redefine it, or reinterpret it. 
The opioid crisis is at an all-time high, forcing addictions to very powerful substances and prescriptions, often leading to overdose deaths and suicides from the depression connected to these substances and prescriptions. This is not to mention all of the depression and pain from physical, from physical, emotional, and sexual abuse of adults and children, of racial discrimination and murder based on race, of mass shootings, bombings, and killings of people and children just going about everyday life, and it seems like it's happening every day now, of war between different countries, of neglect, broken marriages, the evil of pornography, strip clubs, prostitution, sex trafficking, and the entire sex industry. The rise of clinical and debilitating anxiety and depression, substance and alcohol abuse, and the purposeful greed of various governmental and industrial entities. And all of these things, the enemy is using his agents in power to make just seem perfectly normal as a way of life. And he's laughing all the while. None of this or everything else in this dark world should surprise us. Paul told Pastor Timothy the state of the world during this time leading up to Jesus coming back for us when he said, but mark this, know this full well, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Don't be surprised by that at all. While evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I used to read that as a kid and think, oh, I guess it's sort of true now. But I read that now, and you're just holding a mirror up to the world. But if you have repented and accepted Jesus as your Savior and King, your spiritual eyes have been opened by the Father and He has already saved you, He has already justified you, and He has already glorified you. And one day, soon probably, Jesus is coming back for you. As well as all those who had put their faith in him and died before that point. He will call us up with a loud shout, calling forth, it's time. And in the blink of an eye, we will all be changed and taken to be with Jesus forever. Go forth in the hope and joy of that anticipation. The world will continue to go the way it's always gone. And the world will continue to become more and more evil. Be grateful that your eyes have been opened. You've been justified and glorified and continue to live the life worthy of your calling 
as Paul says. We are the salt and light of this dark and evil world, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Rather than be downtrodden by the state of the world and by the enemy of our souls, be empowered and strengthened by the Holy Spirit, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world, to go out into this dark world and bear the light of the hope of Jesus. Jesus is our only hope, and Jesus is this world's only hope. May God use us as he opens the eyes of those he wants to not shrink back in fear, but to build his kingdom in this world in the here and now and now more than ever. As Paul instructs Timothy, may we take these words with us out these doors and into this dark world. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. That's the spirit of the world. Spirit of the world is fear. What's going to happen with this economy? How high are the gas prices going to go up? What's going to happen with this war in Europe? What's going to happen in our personal lives? The spirit of the world is fear. And it will always be marked by fear because they don't have the hope that we have. But we have Jesus. And so because of that, we have been given us, we have been given not a spirit of fear. We've been given a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind so we can process through everything that's going on in the world right now the way that God wants us to process it let's pray Heavenly Father we thank you for what these words are in your word to this crowd that was challenging you we thank you for what it meant to that crowd, even if they didn't fully understand it. And we thank you for what it means to us. And we thank you that if we've cared enough to put our faith and trust in you, and we've humbled ourselves to repent of our sin and taken you as Savior and King, we know that you've chosen us. If we see the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, we know you have chosen us. Lord, thank you for opening our spiritual eyes. We know we can't have you through anything this world has to offer. We can only have you if you've drawn us to yourself. So, Lord, we're grateful. May we never take that gift for granted or neglect it or cast it aside. But, Lord, let us always ever seek to have more and more of a growing faith with you, a deepening faith with you. May we be digging into your word, seeking your power through the Holy Spirit, and being that salt and light in this dark world. I pray all these things in Jesus' name.